Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. I'm Santa. Hey friends, I'm Amanda. And fun fact, it's very tiny. Tiny, tiny fact. My sweatshirt that I'm wearing, pretty sure I'm an outfit repeater. I'm pretty sure I've worn this before, but it sort of relates to my my story. But yes, these are the the Looney Tunes figures. And uh, yeah, more on that at 11. What fun fact do you have today? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have much other than my mom came up to see me. My mom and my stepdad came up to see me. And remember on the Island of the Dolls episode, episode 30, I believe, mm-hmm. um, I told y'all about my Ken doll that I had growing up named Hollywood Ken. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, she brought my Hollywood Ken so that I could have him. And this is yes. him, Hollywood Ken. His head falls off, but I think she like glued it back on or something. But his head falls off because I made him, like, make out with all of my Barbies. Because I had, like, so many Barbies, possibly hundreds of Barbies, and only this one kin. That's a lot to have to go around. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was used, abused, and tossed to the side. Um, (laughs) But he has lived to tell the tale. And he even got to keep the shirt. So. Wow. What a stud. (laughs) I mean, he's pretty hot, and he's got, like, stars on his head. If you wet his head, they go away. I don't know. Oh, okay. Just give him a little bow. It, it's from 1990. I don't know. High tech. But anyway, <laughs> that's my fun fact. He's my new studio mascot, besides, obviously, Harry Houdini. This is a real, tangible mascot for the stew. We love to see it. I don't know where any of my old Barbie and Ken dolls are. No idea. They're probably still not fully disintegrated in a landfill somewhere. (laughs) Damn. All of mine are getting, like, tortured by my niece, Callie, whenever she goes to my mom's house. Yeah. They're getting the treatment. (laughs) Tearing that shit up. Um, Cool. Cool. Anyways, so we're a little pressed for time today. So we're going to try to get through our stories, but give you all the tea. What story had you shook this week? Well, Santa, I can't wait to tell you the story that had me shook this week. But first, a quick break. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. In 1952, there was a record high of UFOs reported. 1,500 sightings. There has been evidence of human sacrifice, devil worship, and it is haunted by more spirits than can be counted. A family of two adults and two kids reportedly saw a giant flying thing with glowing red eyes. And meanwhile, the family's nanny that helped Veronica to care for her and Lucian's children was found bludgeoned to death in the basement of their family home. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. Okay, so the story that had me shook this week is called the Mandela Effect. And I mentioned my sweatshirt was kind of in tune with the Mandela Effect. And the reason that is, is because you see here, 
it's got all the Looney Tunes playing basketball. And I have to tell you something, Santa. There's some confusion in the world about how to spell Looney Tunes. Okay, so L-O-O-N-E-Y. Mm-hmm. T-O-O-N-S. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. This shirt says Tune Squad. T-U-N-E. Tune. Stay tuned for the Tune Squad. Looney Tunes. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so stupid. No, please. Don't ever cut that out. That's so funny. Looney Tunes. Stay tuned until June for the Looney Tunes. Oh, my God. Okay. Those who get it, get it. Those who are caught up, yeah. get it. Um, <laughs> Okay, so what is the Mandela effect? And what does that have to do with this? The Mandela effect is essentially a phenomenon in which multiple people share the same collective memory of an event or an item or a person from pop culture that allegedly just isn't actually correct. It's basically a collective misunderstanding or something. It's very complicated, but we'll get to it. Okay, so what makes this phenomenon so crazy is, yeah, there's some possible realistic explanations that are plausible for the Mandela effect that are not necessarily paranormal in nature, but I personally don't think that there is one end-all be-all to explain the Mandela effect. There's several different reasons why this is a thing. Sometimes when people discover a Mandela effect and they dig deep enough, eventually they're going to uncover some evidence that was left behind, so so to speak. And they call that evidence residue. So, for example, Looney Tunes. This right here is supposed to be, I thought, was supposed to be spelled T-O-O-N-S because it's a cartoon. Well, no. Apparently it was always spelled Looney Tunes. But if someone were to go and dig through the archives and find even just one example of it saying Looney Tunes, that would be considered residue. So this term, the Mandela effect, was coined by a woman named Fiona Broom. So Fiona, she basically was compiling some evidence about Nelson Mandela. And as she's compiling this research, it dawns on her, wait, I thought he died in the 80s in prison. And for those who don't know, Nelson Mandela was the president of South Africa, and he was a huge civil rights figure. But as she's doing this research and, and talking to folks about it, she realizes, holy shit, there's so many people that think that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s. Well, it turns out, old Nelly, he didn't die until 2013. I have to note that at the time that Fiona and several others thought that Mandela had passed away, he wasn't even president yet because he didn't have his reign as president until the 1990s. So that whole thing to me is kind of a head scratcher, but that is essentially the origin story of the Mandela effect. Once this phenomenon officially had a name, it started to catch fire and everybody started catching on thinking, oh, that's kind of like the time that I thought this was this. And, and it goes on and on and on throughout the years. And so the question rings, are these just false memories? Are they false memories at all? What are they? Like, what is this? And the chances are, if you are alive today and have ever been on the internet machine, you've probably come across some of your own Mandela effects. So as you're listening to these examples I'm about to give you, please let us know if you have experienced any of these or if you have a different one. There are literally, I'm not joking, hundreds of examples of this but just let us know if you're watching on youtube 
please put it in the comments if any of these ring true to you or if you're on Instagram or some other social platform, just leave us a comment and say, oh, absolutely, this is me. So we already covered the Looney Tunes thing. Another example that personally to me is one of the biggest Mandela effects that I cannot reckon with at all is the spelling of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is spelled C-H-I-C-K dash F-I-L dash A. So very phonetically, it spells Chick-fil-A. So tell me why, as like a middle school or high schooler kid, did I go to Chick-fil-A and every single time make the comment, what the heck are they doing spelling it C-H-I-C? Why is it chic filet? What is this stylish, fancy chicken? (laughs) I remember a billboard, a Chick-fil-A billboard in Chattanooga. And they were like cows painting the billboard. And I swear to God, they were painting a K over the CK and making it look like it was chick, Mm C-H-I-K filet. And that might be where some of that Mandela confusion comes from is that weird advertising that didn't mean to imply that that was their logo now or something. There are some people out there that actually had the exact same mentality that you do, that it was with a K. And yes, you're right. They did write eat more chicken and they misspelled the word more also, M-O-R, I think, and then C-H-I-K-E-N. Super weird. But the crazy thing is there are people out there that swear that it's just a K or it's just a C. And so many people are like, when did this happen that it's spelled the correct way? We don't know. Um, so that's just one example. But I remember explicitly saying, chic filet. Mom, let's go to chic filet. Because I just thought it was so stupid. <laughs> so I really I really don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. That's just one example. One of the most famous instances of the Mandela Effect is the belief that there was a movie called Shazam. Starring Sinbad, who played the role of a magic genie. However, if you go back and dig through the internet archives, Shazam does not exist. And Sinbad was not in a genie movie. However, Shaquille O'Neal played a genie in the movie Kazam. Oh. So apparently Shazam just never existed? Or did it? Or did it? So, of course, for several of these examples, I went ahead and got on Reddit, my favorite, and looked up some examples of people who think they may have discovered something or noticed something. So, wait, hunty, can I tell you a Sinbad thing? Oh my God, please. I just wanted to tell you that I served him one time and he was a sweet baby angel. That's all. Oh my God. Sinbad. Yeah. And he tipped me $100 on like a really like low bill. And, I just, yeah, I will forever love him because that was real sweet. That's all. That is is amazing. Is that where you work now or was it a past Mm -mm. restaurant? It was when I worked at the Hutton Hotel and he was staying there because he was performing at Zany's, which is where Two Girls, One Ghost will be performing when they're in town. Yay! Yeah, and BT Dubs, we're going to the Atlanta show on Halloween night. So if you're going to be there, we'll be there and we can be friends. Come on. Come on. That is so cool that you got to meet Sinbad. I love that. I love that. Okay, so this is a post that I found on Reddit in the Mandela Effect subreddit, of course. 
by user level up 13 it was posted four years ago the title says i am not a mandela effect believer but this blew my mind my girlfriend is 29 she has very little pop culture knowledge she's not dumb she's just not into tv and movies up until the other day she had never heard of the mandela effect i have lots of old dvds last week We were organizing them, and I asked her to tell me which movies she's actually watched before. We got to Jingle All the Way, and she said that she had watched that one before. And just for fun, I asked her if she had ever watched any other Sinbad movies. She said she had. Then, when I asked her which Sinbad movie was her favorite, without hesitation, she said, I remember liking that one Genie movie. I was shocked. I asked, do you remember the name of that movie? She thought for a second and said, Shazam. I honestly couldn't believe it. I asked her when she watched it, and she told me that her grandma had the VHS tape, and she would watch it when she went over to her house growing up. The tape originally belonged to her cousin, who was older. I was laughing the whole time, and she didn't know why. I briefly explained to her, and she just dismissed it. Yesterday, I showed her an article about the Sinbad movie and the Mandela Effect. She is 100% convinced that the movie exists. She got very angry when I showed her all of the info and the Reddit threads. She is 100% sure that the movie did not have Shaq in it. I don't know. I remember Kazam. I was and am a huge Shaq fan. So I remember watching the movie. It sounds a lot like the same movie that a lot of the Sinbad genie believers describe. I'm a skeptic, but I'm officially blown away. My girlfriend is now determined to find the VHS tape at her grandma's house. We will see. So then they go on to update. Update. After all the discussion in the thread, I asked her to describe the plot of the movie. All she could remember was that two white kids found a lamp. (laughs) She couldn't recall much more than picturing Sinbad in a genie outfit. She's 29, and she said that she's watched it several times between the ages of 7 and 10, but it wasn't regularly. Her grandma lives two states away, and the only thing that she is 100% sure of is that the genie was definitely not Shaq. She says she definitely would have remembered that. Her details aren't great. I'm sorry, everyone. Second update. I know some have asked for an update. Nothing really to report. Grandma says that there are no VHS tapes at the house anymore. She said that she doesn't remember owning the movie, but she just bought the movies for the grandkids. That's all. I'm still a skeptic. You're welcome. No resolution. What I find interesting about this one, there's no actual residue from this one. This girl apparently doesn't follow pop culture at all. So who gave her the idea that it was Sinbad? We'll have some explanations for that here in a bit. But until then, another apparently very famous example of the Mandela effect is the fact that many people remember the spelling of the Berenstain Bears being spelled B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N, when in fact, the last few letters are A-I-N. So it's Berenstain, not Berenstein. And wow, because I yeah. remember it, Stain. Do you? Well, mm-hmm, maybe. Not Stain. Well, okay, my own Mandela effect of this is while everybody's causing a ruckus about whether it's A-I-N or E-I-N, maybe I was sheltered, but I don't remember the Berenstain books at all. Like, I didn't have I do them in my house. Books. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I don't remember at all. But that's probably the one where I see the biggest amount of uproar. So it's AIN. It's been confirmed. 
why do people think it's EIN? Well, I went to the Mandela Effect subreddit yet again, and I found this interesting little nugget. User Diamond Ashtray, seven years ago, wrote, holy shit, found Bernstein, Burns, she spelled it Steen, Bernstein evidence while packing. She said, I'm currently packing for a move. My husband and I are heavily streamlining our VHS collection. I found my old Bernstein Bears VHS and the official labels say, get this, both Steen and Stain. Stain appears on the front label while Steen appears on the side. Also, and of a less consequence, the label that my mom had put on the plastic video cover reads Steen. So even her mom had it twisted. She says, I'm literally shaking. Anyone who knows how is free to test these images, but they're totally unaltered. So she added a photograph and I can text this to you, but plain as day, the VHS tape on the top does say Bernstein with an AIN. And then on the side of the VHS, it clearly has an EIN. So somebody should have gotten fired. It's giving typo in the graphics department. I mean, come on now, people. Get it together. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. There's another Mandela Effect example that really troubles me myself because I grew up watching Pokemon with my brother and sister, like many of you did, I'm sure. And I would swear, had I not known this to be debunked, I would swear that Pikachu had a black tip on the end of his tail. I would swear it. And apparently a lot of people believed that he had a black tip on his tail. I'm going to have to ask my sister Emily because she's super obsessed with Pikachu. She even had a cat named Pikachu and he was the sweetest little baby angel. And I remember going into her room and I'm almost certain that she's got a stuffed animal that has a black tip too. So which is it? What's going on? Um, but people, people literally swear. They're like, there was a black tip, but when you pull it up, it's not there. So I thought maybe the reason people think there's a black tip on the tail you know, the Pokemon evolved, so maybe it's Raichu or somebody that has a black tip on their tail. But Raichu doesn't have a black tip either, so I'm not sure what that is all about. And I only really had that idea when I was writing the story. And I don't know, it just really bugs me because Pikachu seems naked <laughs> without the black tip. But that's just me. Um, let's see. Another one, another example that's pretty well debated is the Monopoly Man. Can you tell me what the Monopoly Man looks like? Bald, gray mustache, and like wears like a suit with like a mm -hmm. bow tie and maybe has like a little walking stick thing. Okay. Can you think about that's anything that's on his head or face? Um, he might have a monocle, but I don't, he's not wearing the hat. That's interesting that you just said that. Um, in my head right now, as I envision him, he does have the top hat, but that's not the debate that there is. You said he could have a monocle. Well, guess what, Hunty? He does not have a monocle, or does he? You look online, it's really hard to find any evidence that he would have a monocle. Is it like in his breast pocket or something? Mm, that's a good question. I would have to go back and look, but on his face, plain as day, it's literally just two eyeballs. He ain't got nothing else going on, but... Yeah. Of course, went back on Reddit, and I was trying to find some evidence. Surely somebody's got some evidence, some residue, that the Monopoly man does have a monocle. So in the Mandela Effect subreddit, once again, the user, it's 
Prisma two years ago wrote Monopoly Monocle actually exists. They say, I don't know if this has been posted before, but there actually exists an official Monopoly man with a monocle. Here he is with said monocle. This is on the Dutch Junior Monopoly. And like I said, I'll keep going through a couple examples and then we'll talk about some explanations for these. But some people, you know, might find it curious that this old man wearing a a nice coat, has a stick, wearing a nice hat. It just kind of fits the vibe that he would have a monocle. And now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't even mention this later on, but I, I think our mind just tries to fill in the gaps of what we can expect to see. So that could be a potential explanation that I didn't think of before. But another one is the Fruit of the Loom logo. And Mm -hmm. that one messes me up big time. Can you tell me what the Fruit of the Loom logo looks like? So I know what they are. I know what they are claiming it to be. But I have always thought that it was that like cornucopia with the fruit spilling out. Yeah. Well, lots of people swear that there's a cornucopia. But if you Google it, it's literally just a pile of fruit. And to me, that also seems very naked and incomplete because the cornucopia, of course, symbolizes, you know, being plentiful and having abundance. And that just kind of seems to fit the theme with Fruit of the Loom. But I, I don't know why. Apparently, it's not real. But then again, here on Reddit, I'm not even sure what the original post was, but this is a comment that was under that subreddit on a different post. That said, um, and this is from Sleepy Mango two years ago. Disclaimer, I'm a skeptic of the Mandela effect, but here's the U.S. patent and trademark search. He tells people what to do here. He says, go to basic word wordmark search and then change the search field to serial or registration number. The one for Fruit of the Loom's trademark registration is number 7300608989. And that was from that was valid from 1974 to 1988. And then he says, look what's listed in the design elements for the trademark filing. And the OP of the original post, Wonderwall 27, two years ago, said, I found it. And he posts a couple of like serial numbers. And it says, berries, raspberries, strawberries, grapes, apples, baskets of fruit, containers of fruit, cornucopia, in parentheses, the horn of plenty, serial number. 73006089. Filing date, November 12th, 1973. And here's the kicker. This application status was canceled. 1974 to 1988 is when it was trademarked. It was canceled the year before that. So apparently it was supposed to have a cornucopia all this time. And lo and behold, it does not exist. The limit does not exist. The public wants a cornucopia. (laughs) Cornucopia or we riot. Pretty much. So that was just, like I said, the tip of the iceberg. If you go on YouTube or Reddit or really anywhere, you will find hundreds of examples of the Mandela effect. And for it to be a Mandela effect, it has to be recognized by multiple people. It can't just be your own personal glitch thing. That's more of glitch in the matrix, but 
don't worry we're gonna talk about glitch on the matrix in another episode if you're interested in this keep going keep looking because you might you might see one that you never thought of before there's literally hundreds that i came up came across and i was like what there's so many misheard lyrics for example like uh sweet dreams are made of these no this (laughs) she puts the emphasis on this sorry am i gonna get copyright strike yeah sweet dreams are made of this yeah this. this It's like when people now, when they're, when they're singing the word good, they say good. So yeah, misheard lyrics, misheard movie quotes. I could go on and on and on. There's one that went popular on Reddit that um, I think it's one of the James Bond movies. There's a character in it who has blonde hair and pigtails. And everybody is freaking shook that there are no braces on this girl. People are like, I remember being a kid and being like, oh my God, I look just like this girl because I got braces just like her. Like she's a brace face and then come to find out she doesn't have braces. But I'm telling you, there's like mountains of these things. So go on and look. Just to wrap it up, like I said, there are so many examples of this and I think it's really a a toss up for what explanation goes where because there's so many different explanations. And one theory is that because – of the way our brain works, there's a little bit of confusion there at times. Um, We are, as humans, always storing and sorting new information and memories. And basically our brain's a computer and what does it do? But it sorts those files into relatable, you know, consolidated, similarly related things so that it's easier for you to recall the memory. And so you could, in theory, you could conflate information from one thing with something else. So the Monopoly man, for example, lots of people think he has a monocle. Well, he doesn't. But guess who does have a monocle that's also pretty popular? And that's the planter's peanut guy. He has a cane, a top hat, and a monocle. So that could be just kind of an association where people think back to that time frame in their life, and they're like, huh. It's got a monocle, but no, they're thinking of the peanut man. (laughs) So basically you're just conflating information. Here's one. Here's another example of conflation that I didn't mention before, but Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. The music video. Iconic. I literally would play my radio throughout the night when that song came out and I would wake up from a dead sleep whenever it came on because I was obsessed with it and I would like be dancing in my dreams um I freaking loved that song and I was really shook when I found out that apparently Britney is you know dancing around in pretty much just that red jumpsuit she's wearing a red jumpsuit and Mm -hmm. guess what's missing she doesn't have a headpiece like a microphone I always envisioned that she had a microphone piece, like, hanging up. And some people think it's because yeah, like, a black of the one. way. Yeah, no. They're, like, go look. <sighs> Nothing. Another example is people think she's wearing a plaid skirt in Hit Me Baby One More Time or Baby One More Time. It's black. It's not plaid. It's black. So even oh, Britney Spears yeah. herself, yeah, she dressed up as herself in um, Baby One More Time, and she wore a plaid skirt. People are like, wait. Um, yeah, so that's just wild to me. Um, but the, the conflation thing I was talking about is, so with the headpiece, that's something you would expect her to be wearing. And that's probably because what does she have to wear when she's performing live? She has to wear a headpiece. 
maybe people were um, confusing the recorded music video with a live performance of that song. That's just another random example. But yeah, I could have sworn and several people could have sworn because there were like Barbie dolls that had her wearing a headpiece. Like, all kinds of pop culture references saying, oh, she's got a headpiece in this song. But no, she ain't. Um, but yeah, if you go online, you can find people dressing as her for Halloween that year, and they've got a headpiece, all of that stuff. Uh, misheard lyrics and misheard movie quotes are another thing. Like, for example, it's not, Luke, I am your father. It's, no, I am your father. And I think, yeah, I know. I know. It's it's never been, what? Luke, I am your father. Yeah. And that's just one example of the movie quote thing. But people will literally swear, 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 swear that that's what it was. And in fact, I think people are just saying, Luke, I am your father, because it kind of like when you're quoting a movie to someone, you want them to be able to understand what you were referencing in the first place. So context clues. So if you hear a misquote and you commit that to memory and you tell 10 people and they tell 10 people it's like an MLM I don't know um but another way our, our brain works is when we recall a memory we are basically recalling the last time we recalled that memory so it's like inception kind of there's uh there's a subreddit called moldy memes and basically that subreddit is just a bunch of memes that have been screenshotted and then screenshotted and then screenshotted pixelated to death <laughs> yeah it's literally it looks fuzzy like it's covered in <laughs> so mold. shitty and that's i think that's what your brain <laughs> does when you're remembering something another explanation could be a quantum physics theory coined by erwin schrodinger um Basically, the many worlds theory, so the multiverse, which is common in like the comic book films and things like that. Basically, your life is a series of forks in the road, and every fork leads to another fork to like an infinite amount. And basically, all outcomes are happening simultaneously. So that's like a, a quantum physics thing. And that one to me is one of the more interesting ones, because if that's the case, think of every day of your life, every decision you make in your life. The, even the smallest little detail goes out, 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 out to infinity. And infinity is endless. So that would mean there are infinity Santas and infinity Amandas, et cetera. Um, More. Right. And one final theory that I will leave with you all because we're short on time is CERN, C-E-R-N, which is the European Organization for Nuclear Research that has this particle divider machine. And they say that this causes the alternate outcomes and you know some might say if it's not CERN it could be a time traveler like butterfly effect type thing where somebody went back in history and you know made one small decision and it affected all these tiny little pop culture things so who knows at the end of the day <laughs> you decide but I'm gonna leave you with this funny enough <laughs> In India, in New Delhi, India, I'm pretty sure is where it was, there were students that mistook a billboard with Morgan Freeman and thinking it was Nelson Mandela. What's funny is that Nelson Mandela was played by Morgan Freeman in a movie. Oh, yeah. So, but people like actually conflated those two people. But that's the Mandela effect, and there are plenty more. And I could probably do a part two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, but yeah. There's there's so many of those that I'm interested in, like, kind of going through and also seeing what I think they are versus right. what they have been concluded to be. 
Right. But anyways, enough about M-E. <laughs> enough about me, Mandela Effect. What story had you shook this week, Santa? So this week, I definitely wish we had more time because this is kind of a big undertaking, but hopefully I can get through it quickly. I wanted to talk about one of the very early instances of vampire and werewolf lore that we know of that is actually like a historic person that we can attribute these acts to. And that is Elizabeth Bathory, um, the Hungarian countess who legend has it that she used to bathe in the blood of virgin peasants. And she did this allegedly in an attempt to stay youthful. So that is what we're going to talk about today. Nice. So virgin blood, you say? Yeah, virgins. Virgins only. (laughs) So basically, this is going to be like one big history lesson, which is like my favorite thing ever to do on this podcast. But also, it's like a fusion of true crime and a little bit of vampire werewolf lore peppered in. But I will say it is more of a history lesson. So sorry, not sorry. (laughs) I did this one for me. As we know, historically, the first person that we might associate with being a vampire and also associate with Bram Stoker's Dracula in being the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula is Vlad the Impaler, um, who was a Romanian prince from 1431 to 1476. As we know, he was very sadistic and he impaled Anybody and everybody in the front yard, basically, like it was crazy. It was pandemonium. So basically, my research was very heavily using this book called Dracula Was a Woman in Search of the Blood Countess of Transylvania by Raymond T. McNally. This is a really well-researched book. This man, um, Raymond T. McNally, he actually went to all of the places that Elizabeth Bathory ever existed at to do his research. He did really serious, good research, and he even connected with transcripts from her 1611 trial, which at the time in the 80s when he wrote this book was brand new information, groundbreaking (laughs) um, info about her trial. And, of course, the info from her trial included testimonies of the things that she actually did to people. And so the reason this book is called Dracula Was a Woman is because Raymond T. McNally was really trying to make an argument that Bram Stoker's Dracula was actually based on Elizabeth Bathory because Bram Stoker's Dracula was a Hungarian count. His bloodline traces back to Attila the Hun. His hands and fingernails resemble those of a werewolf. Elizabeth Bathory was... There were so many different legends about, like, what her deal was, and Mm -hmm. werewolfism was one of those. And also, Bram Stoker's Dracula looks younger after drinking human blood. So he thinks that a lot of the inspiration for Dracula came from Elizabeth Bathory versus Vlad the Impaler. So that's not really a big part of what I'm going to talk about, but that's just kind of why he wrote this book. And then I also watched this really great episode of lore on Amazon prime. And that is a show based on Aaron Mankey's great podcast called lore. And yeah, 
I recommend watching that if you want. Um, it definitely takes some creative liberties, but it's a really nice representation um, with some historic facts peppered in. So Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, had noted in his personal journals about a book called The Book of Werewolves by Sabine Baring Gold. And that book included information about a Hungarian countess who killed her young female servants to bathe in their blood, basically Elizabeth Bathory. In the book, they describe what Elizabeth Bathory did. Um, they said she began doing this when a maid accidentally pulled her hair while combing it. Elizabeth hit her in the face so hard that it drew blood. The blood got on her hand. And then she noticed as the blood dried and absorbed into her skin, it gave it a more youthful, softer appearance. She went on to kill 650 young ladies to use their blood for anti-aging practices. Oh my God. Elizabeth was, yeah, 650 that we know of. And I'll tell you how we know that soon. Yikes. Stay tuned. <laughs> So Elizabeth was alleged to be a werewolf also because she was known to tear human flesh with her teeth. Um, so that is just kind of like a legend in a novel that's kind of taking inspo mm -hmm. about Elizabeth Bathory. So this isn't really like a Sarah Winchester thing where it's like debunking the fact that she was bad because mm. this bitch, this bitch was evil. Yeah. But there's like no indication that she actually did the bathing in blood part. That part is, like, very much, I think, something that just kind of, like, became sensationalism associated mm -hmm. with her. But sh there's there's no testimony to that. So Elizabeth Bathory had several properties with her husband, Harink Nadasdi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But then as a couple, they had, like, multiple properties in Transylvania. She's from Hungary, though. So that's why they call her Hungarian the Hungarian countess. So she had a bunch of properties with her husband, Ferenc Nadazdi, and the main one that she lived in, at least at the time of her death, was the castle of Kastis, located in Western Slovakia. You can visit this place now, but it is in ruins because there was a fire at some point and it was just destroyed, but there's still walls there. So you can go and actually visit the location. It is a tourist attraction now in Slovakia. Sweet. So this is like some loose things that she used to do. I'm just going to like kind of go through my notes, but they're all over the place. Like, um, so allegedly Elizabeth's manservant Fixko used to bring girls to the main tower room at Castle Kastis where they were told to strip naked and then Elizabeth would pick whoever she wanted to torture that night. Wow. God, she, she did just such horrible, horrible things to these mm. girls. Trigger warning, like honestly, because yeah. this is just honestly horrible. Allegedly, Elizabeth tortured and killed many servant girls at Castle Bekov also, which was near to Kachtis, but much more private and suitable for keeping the goings on private. Castle Bekov was very similar to like Dracula's castle, like how it's up on rock and just has mm -hmm. that like sinister but remote appearance. Mm -hmm. In the town of Bitka, the director of the local archives, Joseph Kosis, discovered documents pertaining to Elizabeth Bathory's that were never before seen in the 80s when, when mm -hmm. Dracula was a woman was written. And those are the court documents. 
well, those are the trial documents of 1611, which most of this information that I'm going to tell you comes from those trial documents and those testimonies of her servants to what she actually did. So allegedly Elizabeth Bathory had an Iron Maiden. Do you know what an Iron Maiden is? Besides the band? I should. Yeah, band is the first thing I think. Um, is it some sort of weapon? It is a torture device. It's a <gasps> mechanical torture device. And it's like, it's kind of like an iron cabinet, but it is shaped like a human form, but it kind of almost looks like a mummy casket. You can open it up and someone can go inside there, but it has spikes like all around. It has spikes pointing in on all sides. So if you get enclosed inside of an Iron Maiden, you're going to basically be impaled through your whole body by spikes. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Now, is it upon it's, the shutting of the door, or is it like, be careful how much you move, or else? Like, which is it? I think that it's when they shut the door, but there may be, like, other ones where you can kind of, like, control how far the spikes go in. Yeah. I'm not really entirely sure the actual mechanics of that, but allegedly, Elizabeth Bathory had one of those. She actually allegedly had multiple of those at all of her properties, just like an Iron Maiden per property, kind of like how people have a swimming pool. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> if it doesn't have an Iron Maiden, I don't want it. So yeah, allegedly she had an Iron Maiden torture device at all of her properties. Uh, one of them was displayed in the Castiz Museum, which is a place that you can go, um, but it disappeared somehow during World War II. Elizabeth tortured and killed girls everywhere she went, literally. It was like an obsession. That's messed up. And I'm talking girls as young as 12, <gasps> possibly no. possibly even younger. Yeah. So Elizabeth tortured and killed girls everywhere she went, not just her home in Castiz and other homes she lived in, but even when visiting friends and family on their properties, according to the 1611 trial documents. She was just disappearing people constantly but I mean she chose peasants because at the time peasants did not have rights so nobody cared and nobody cared how you punished your peasant servants either back then if you had maid servants and they came from a peasant background you could discipline them however you wanted and your reputation wouldn't be tarnished like yeah literally no consequence to that so, so it was it was really easy for a while for her to get away with that. In 1610, Count George Thurzo, who happens to be her cousin also, um, had been sent to Catchtees to investigate rumors of torture and tragedy and discovered the body of a young girl who had been tortured and recently killed at the time of discovery and two other girls as well. So there was this girl that she had just killed for allegedly stealing a pear at Christmas time. Like, she killed her, like, days before he found her, but she was getting real sloppy with it at mm -hmm. a certain point and just, like, leaving bodies laying around the property, like, because she would make her servants, like, dispose of them, and it was just like, I'll get to it when I get to it, you know? So, Elizabeth had four main, mm, Elizabeth really had three main accomplices that really were very, very involved with the torture. Um, and that was Fixco, which was her manservant, Helena Joe, and Dorothea Sintas. 
um, also known as Dorca. Elizabeth Bathory was born in 1560 and lived in Transylvania, a northern part of Hungary. She was born into a rich and powerful family. Her brother Stefan was the prince of Transylvania and went on to become the king of Poland. Yeah, she had connections for sure. This is part of why she was able to get away with things for so long because it was like, you know, yeah. nepotism. Nepo baby. In 1571, Elizabeth, at age 11, became engaged to 16-year-old Ferek Nadasdi. Sometime during her teenage years, she was caught having sex with a local peasant while at her future mother-in-law's home. Oh my goodness. Trifling. This is just tea. She became <laughs> pregnant and had to go into hiding in one of her family's castles in Transylvania. And then she gave birth to a daughter. And the baby was given to a peasant who took her to live in Wallachia, which is part of southern Romania. It was sworn that they would never come back there during Elizabeth's lifetime. The whole scandal was kept secret from the public in anticipation of the soon-to-be marriage of Elizabeth and Count Ferrek Nadasdi. So, when I found out about her having a daughter so young and then the daughter being sent away it was really upsetting to me because just the fact that she was constantly killing young women and kids mm -hmm. essentially um it's just like how could you do that while also having daughters of your own i'm really bothered because at one point when she started running out of peasant girls in her area she literally had her servants recruit people to go to other places and like other towns, other countries, even in some cases and recruit girls to come work for her in the castle. And it's just like, for all she knows, her own daughter that she gave up could have ended up at that castle and she killed her and didn't even know. That's something that I'm just like, that's oh heavy God. on my heart. That is a great point. Like we will never know. And she probably never knew if that had happened. Sounds like she because don't care either. I think if she had found out, she would have cared because she seemed to really care for her own children and she spared them any kind of abuse of this nature. But yeah, that, that easily could have happened because I read that one of the recruiters did recruit peasant girls from Wallachia mm. for her. And that's where her daughter was shipped off. It's like, I don't know. I'm, like, real hung up on that. Yeah. <sighs> Piece of shit. Anyway, mm -hmm. so they were officially married in May of 1575, and Elizabeth chose to keep her last name, of course, because her bloodline was older and more prominent. And also, it is a cooler last name, let's just be honest. <laughs> Early in the marriage, Nadasdi was away at war. Most of the marriage, he was away at war, honestly. Elizabeth spent a lot of time disciplining the servants, according to manservant Fixco and Dorothea Sintes. She would beat her girl servants, stick pins into their lips, stick needles into their flesh, and <gasps> pins under their fingernails. Oh! She also... Mm -hmm. I, there's, I can't do fingernails, man. I know. She, she did just, like, just horrible shit. She also dragged multiple girls out into the snow and had her women servants pour cold water on them until they froze to death. This was this was like a very popular 
practice for her. She did the cold water thing a lot when it was that winter is time. Awful. But of course, she didn't bring them out there until she had already like tortured the shit out of them prior to. So it's like they'd already been through so much, and then it's crazy. What um, a monster. She was a fucking monster, whether she bathed in the blood or not. Yeah. During the first 10 years of the marriage, they had no kids. But in 1585, Elizabeth gave birth to a girl who she named Anna. Over the next nine years, she had two more girls named Ursula and Katharina. While her husband was away, she had a sexual relationship with one of her manservants, Eastbon Jezorle. She also visited her Aunt Clara, an open bisexual um, she kept oh, a lot wait, of wait, girls wait. around. Keeping it in the family? What? Well, so <laughs> it, it's not confirmed whether she was like engaging in activity with her Aunt Clara or if she was going to her Aunt Clara where she engaged in activity with women. Because okay. she has, because she had um, relationships with women as well mm, okay. um, during her adult life. Elizabeth's only son, Paul, was born in 1598. Ferenc became very ill and died January 4th, 1604. And according to manservant Fixco, Ferenc also tortured servants with her. When he died and was buried at his funeral, they, like, gave him, like, this saint's send-off of, like, he was so good and he, he did everything right and he was just a God-fearing man and... He did what he was supposed to do in life and didn't hurt nobody, except in war. Um, but no, not only did, not only was he a war hero, which means people probably died uh, because of him, but he also tortured the girls with Elizabeth. Four weeks after the death of her husband in 1604, Elizabeth went to court in Vienna and had a brief courtship with a young nobleman named Ladislaus. That didn't last very long. And then also while she was out in the woods with him, they were like in a carriage ride in the woods. And this like old lady, ugly, in her opinion, old lady was out there and she was like making fun of her and like laughing at her with Ladislav. And then the old lady pointed to her and was like, you're going to look like this one day too. And it like scared the shit out of her. Good. And then uh, apparently like that's one of the things to support why she yeah allegedly bathed in the blood which again we don't have any proof that she bathed in the blood but at castle beckov according to helena joe in trial testimony elizabeth did numerous tortures she oh god this is so fucked she set a girl's pubic hair on fire with a candle if the maids didn't complete their sewing by 10 p.m they were tortured sometimes she made the girls strip completely naked and perform their duties naked. Oh my god. Um, in front of all the male servants. She once stuck her fingers in a girl's mouth and pulled until the girl's mouth split on the sides. Oh my god. There's no end to the to the things that she did. It's insane. At the time there was no recourse against how servants were disciplined as peasants did not really have rights, as I said earlier. Elizabeth's torture was not as frequent when she had house guests, so servants would try to make them stay longer whenever possible. Sometimes they would make there be something wrong with the carriage. Like, mm -hmm. oh, the wagon wheel needs to be re repaired. Y'all are going to have to stay another night. You know, just to, like, yeah. have somebody around so that she wouldn't do stuff in front of them. 
After torturing her own servant girls for years, she began to pick out aristocratic ladies for victims. So she switched from peasants to girls of noble birth, which was her deadly mistake. She went from <laughs> rags to riches. She, she did. She, she said, I want to upgrade. In 1604, Anna Darvulia came to the castle. It was rumored that she and Elizabeth were lovers. Anna was reportedly much more evil and sadistic than even Elizabeth and taught her new torturing procedures. It was Anna who influenced Elizabeth to take only peasant girls and to choose only virgins. Damn. Eventually, Anna suffered a stroke and went blind, and then Helena and Dorothea had to step in as accomplices. It was Anna who told Elizabeth about the cold water freezing technique. So the timeline is kind of crazy here on how I've told this information, but it wasn't until after her husband's death and meeting Anna the sadist that she learned some new and worse techniques than what she was already doing to torture people. If a servant was accused of stealing money, a coin would be heated in a fire and the accused had to hold it in her hand while it burned a mark in her hand. Many times, Elizabeth pushed a hot clothing iron into a maid's face when they weren't doing a good enough job with the garments. Just right in the fucking face. Oh my god! In 1607, while Elizabeth was attending a neighbor's wedding, a girl tried to run away. She made it to a nearby village, but was caught by Elizabeth's accomplices and was executed there outside in the snow by the cold water method. And once a 12-year-old girl named Pola managed to escape, but Dorothea and Helena Joe caught her and brought her back. Elizabeth forced her into a cage with spikes on the inside. It was like a circular cage. It had like a pulley system with a chain, so you could like pull it up and have it hang like a wrecking ball mm -hmm. kind of thing, but it was a cage with spikes on the inside. Yeah. Basically, they just... They moved the ball around with the little girl in it. Um, the little, I mean, she's a little girl, but I guess she sees her as a young lady, a young threat. But yeah, they moved the ball around and swung it around so that she was just like sliced completely uh, by the spikes. I hate it. It's crazy. It's hard to imagine somebody just like getting away with something like that for so long. Seriously. Even without peasant rights at a certain point it's like we actually kind of need peasants to do the farming and stuff like where are they you know what i mean come on, come like, on now get with it we kind of where's the peasants we actually need them to do the dirty jobs that we don't want to do where'd they go yeah like if if not for human rights at least for that like to right, keep the economy seriously. going <laughs> seriously anna darvulia's illness left elizabeth feeling lonely she ended up being involved with another woman, a widow from a nearby town named Ertzi Majorova. According to evidence from the second trial in 1611, because there were two, there was one on, I think, January 2nd, and then there was another one on January 7th, I believe, um, two different trials of Elizabeth. So in the second trial, it was revealed that this, this woman is who encouraged Elizabeth to start targeting girls of noble birth and then gotcha. she was later executed for her complicity in that because that's the most important part of all this to anybody is that she was killing girls of noble birth as well older women in surrounding villages were eager to work for elizabeth to procure more girls 
as I mentioned earlier. One woman even brought her own daughter knowing that she would be killed. So many women helped in the murders of all these girls. Helena Joe testified that she participated in killing 50 or more girls. I believe Helena Joe killed way more than 50 yeah. girls. Helena and Helena Joe and Dorothea are just as bad as she is. Like they they could have put a stop to some of that. Like I know they probably had like Stockholm syndrome at a certain mm-hmm. point, but like they had the freedom to like come and go as they pleased. Mm-hmm. During this, like, they could have at least gotten out of that situation. They didn't have to keep doing that. I understand, like, maybe at first they had to participate, but, like, mm -mm. Yeah. In 1609, Elizabeth invited 25 daughters of noble blood, but of lesser importance, to the castle. Of course, she killed some of them and got away with it by saying one of the girls killed another for her jewelry and then committed suicide when she was caught. Oh, my God. She made it this whole, like, Mm -mm. girl fight thing Mm -mm. and got away with it. She even killed the teenage countess, Zichi of Exed, the old Bathory estate. Without enough servant girls available to torture and kill because she had eliminated so many, she more frequently sought out these aristocratic girls. According to a chambermaid survivor of torture, the torture was carried out by the countess and an unidentified woman dressed in black. We never found out who the unidentified woman dressed in black. She also dressed like a man. Hmm. So interesting. Um, that could have been that could have been Anna Darvulia, honestly. Wouldn't put it past her. Wouldn't put it past her. It probably was. But it's probably objection hearsay. Who knows? It might have been. Helena Joe and Dorothea Sintes testified that when Elizabeth was sick and confined to her bed, she had the servants bring her a girl to her bedside. She then grabbed her and bit her on the cheek and on the shoulder and on her breast, and she ripped out flesh in the process. And this <sighs> is where some of like the werewolf like legend kind of stems from because she actually did that. Yeah. There's no like indication that she was eating like actually eating human flesh like that but it's the it's the actual biting and ripping of human flesh that like she got that werewolf association in the summer of 1609 or 1610 elizabeth became very ill she traveled with her daughter anna to pistony which was a health resort that allegedly had healing waters to bathe in according to her daughter anna's letters and court testimony before the trip Elizabeth ordered six female servants to go on an eight-day fast. At night, they were bathed in cold water and made to stand naked in the courtyard. Elizabeth took only one of them with her on the trip, but she died on the way back to catch teeth from Pistony in the carriage. Her body was dumped from the carriage. This girl came from an aristocratic family also. For a while, the countess had local pastor, Janos Ponikinus, give Christian burials for the girls. Eventually, he began refusing when the number of dead became too much to believe that this was all accidents or suicides. When she had to be responsible for body disposal or burial is when things started to get really sloppy. In 1610, her neighbor and cousin Count Thurzo was building a case against her with King Matthias II. Around this time, Elizabeth was rumored to be a witch, and letters confirmed that she did engage in some sort of witchcraft. She had incantations that were a mix of Christianity and seemingly witchcraft, but part of that kind of goes back to her Hungarian heritage because 
there's a lot of like shamanistic chants and stuff in that culture. So that's probably like less witchcraft and more just like her religion. King Matthias II ordered Count Thurzo to go to Castle Cachtis to investigate and punish the guilty. Count Thurzo not only believed the allegations of Elizabeth killing so many noble and peasant girls, but also that she could be a witch. A few years before this, he had had three of his own peasant women tried and burned at the stake for being accused of witchcraft. That was like a big thing around then. During Christmas of 1610, a Croatian servant girl named Dorixa. Dorixa was accused of stealing a pair, so she was beaten by Elizabeth and Helena Joe, but refused to die until Dorothea stabbed her repeatedly with a pair of scissors. Oh my god. The night of December 29th, 1610, Count Thurzo led the raid on Castle Cachtis. The raiding party included Thurzo, Elizabeth's two son-in-laws, and her son Paul's tutor. When they arrived at Cachtis, they found the body of Dorixa in front of the door of the manor house and then found two other bodies inside of the house. So there was just like instant evidence, like the moment they got on the property. So yeah. they were just like, you're done. Um, <laughs> in addition to all the shit that she was doing, there were some land issues going on as well. So basically there was a fight for the land because she owned a lot of land and King Matthias wanted to have access to her land. And some people think that this whole thing was like a conspiracy to basically burn somebody at the stake metaphorically so that they could get her land. That's not the case here. She actually sucks, but they also did want her land. So there there was just some cons conspiring going on. January 2nd, 1611, the first trial began in Bitka. Elizabeth was locked away in Catch tease. She was not allowed to be at the trials. She was not allowed to witness what was going on or defend herself. Helena Joe, Dorka, and Fixco were sentenced to death. January 7, 1611, was a second trial where Thurzo and his raid party testified to finding Dorixa and two other dead girls at the manor house. In this trial, there were suggestions of sorcery, vampirism, werewolfism, and black magic at play. Elizabeth was kept out of this trial also to save face for the rest of the Bathory and Nadasdi families, whose reputations would be tarnished by widespread public knowledge of her acts. The maiden, Zuzanna, revealed in testimony that another servant named Jacob Silvassi found a list in Elizabeth's chest of drawers that recorded all of those she had killed and at that time showed 650. Ooh. And it was like a ledger with like names and shit. Allegedly. Damn. So Gabor Bathory, Prince of Transylvania, the Lord of Palatine, openly denounced her in the presence of some of her powerful relatives. You, Elizabeth, are like a wild animal, he told her. You are in the last months of your life. You do not deserve to breathe the air on earth, nor to see the light of the Lord. You shall disappear from this world and shall never reappear in it again. The shadows will envelop you, and you will find time to repent your bestial life. I condemn you, Lady of Cachtis, to lifelong imprisonment in your own castle. 
So while everybody else that was accomplices to her got executed, she did not. She was sentenced to house arrest, basically. But it was shittier than house arrest because she was confined to a room. She didn't get to just, like, roam the castle. And she died August 14th, 1614, in her cell at Castle Catchtees. Serves her right. Yeah, definitely. She died at age, um, I think she was 50-something. So, I mean, she lived a long time for that time period. but Yeah, for that time period, um, for sure. That's fascinating, Santa. Oh, my God. I didn't know very much about her. I mean, I knew who she was, but I did not know she killed 600-plus people. That is really messed up. I didn't know that she killed that many, and I didn't know that she actually tortured them to that extent. I believed the legend that she bathed in the virgin's blood. I fully believe that because that's all I've ever heard about her. And I've seen documentaries too that talk about that. But I did not know about like the torture devices, the torture techniques, just the relentlessness of it. Regardless of whether she was a vampire or a werewolf or a witch, she was a fucking monster. Mm -hmm. And... Right. She's a monster who killed so many people and played Monopoly. (laughs) Real Monopoly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She had some property holdings. Well, you did a great job, and that was jam-packed with info. Like, I learned way, 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 way more than I thought I could in this amount of time. Oh, man. Well, I know you got to get to work, so. Lord, yes. I guess that's our show. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in Shocktober. Yes, we will see you very soon for Shocktober. And in the meantime, stay shook. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, soon to be wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our show notes for more information on this week's episode, our social links, and more. Until next time, stay shook. Hey, do you have a personal paranormal encounter that you'd like to share with us? Visit our website, shookpodcast.com, to fill out our contact form. Or you can send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com.